Our text this morning is from Romans 12, 9-21. You can find this starting on page 948 in the Bibles placed on the chairs in front of you. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. But do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in the spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hostility. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one as far as it evil for you. What the? Do not be high. Sorry, I got lost. I did not practice this any. As you can tell, I'm kind of slow today, and I wake up early. All right, let's try this again. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what you do, what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, for by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Brody. Uh, last time I was here, your voice was not nearly that deep, so <laughs> thank you for reading. Um, Good morning. It is um, such a gift. Uh, it is such a gift to be here. Um, I'm here with my wife, Liz, and with three of our kids, Caroline and Hannah and William, John Mack and Henry, at our Young Life retreat this weekend. Um, and I'm sorry they couldn't join us, all of whom look much older than last time we're here. Um, and your kids have gotten twice as big <laughs> since the last time I was here. Um, I, I think I said this in the little blurb in, in the back of the bulletin, but um, even just coming back uh, has been a reminder, never, not that we're ever far from it, that our, our season of life at Grace was one of the sweetest of our lives as a family. And you people mean the world to us. Um, and the fact that half of you I don't recognize is just a sign of God's ongoing goodness uh, in working in this church and in reaching out to the Northeast and proclaiming the gospel for all to hear. Um, really appreciate the invitation from the session and from Ransom uh, to come and preach this morning. Uh, when we left, we prayed that the Lord would provide the right next person to pastor this church. 
And he had already and continues to provide through the elders of this church and the deacons of this church. And um, as I've told the story of grace to people in Greenville, where I am now, it always ends with, and they have hired this just great pastor to come and to care for those people now. And that is um, such an encouragement to know that you are being cared for so well by everyone here. Um, Some of you still have and have seen a picture from our very first worship service. And I think we're taking one after the service today. Is that right? Okay, I'm getting the thumbs up from JP. Uh, and if you, you look in that picture, if you go back to it and you were around in those days, you'll be amazed at how much younger you look. And you'll be amazed at how much smaller your children are. And it was a picture, as John described, of being at the lake house. John told some of my stories for me today, which is good. The sermon will be shorter. Um, <laughs> but we were at the time like the only church in Columbia where you could look out the window and see two lakes. And John was not joking. There was an alligator. Um, you know, we were learning how to do all the foundational work for a church. One piece of which was to get liability insurance. I'm not at all sure that we ever mentioned the alligator to our insurance adjuster. I'm not sure how that would have gone over. Um, but from there to Lonnie B. Nelson Elementary and now here for the last number of years, God has been faithful and it's good to be a part of that. We're going to dive into God's word here in Romans chapter 12. Let me pray for us as we prepare our hearts to come and to hear from him. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, we thank you that you are ever present and that you are not silent. You're a God who speaks. You speak to us in and through scripture. You bring it alive through the power of the Holy Spirit. And that is the work that we always need from you. So we pray that you would do it right now. Um, this passage has been right under our nose for oh so long. And maybe uh, this morning for us that you would grant us the gift of seeing it with new eyes because you always speak. So we come to you as your people needing to hear from our Lord. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. The, the mission statement's been alluded to a couple times recently, and, and I chose this passage. Um, well, I was going to tell you, I chose this passage because it's so well fit with the mission statement, which it does. The part I didn't say was, I chose this passage because a few weeks ago, Liz was like, you ought to preach on Romans 12. I was like, that's really good. So as with most, if this lands, as with most of my good ideas, you know where they really started. But Here's what, again, the mission statement of grace says, and we're going we're gonna to drill down from Romans 12. In joyful response to God's grace, we as broken people, and here's the phrase I want you to hear, living, live out the gospel together. Do we live out the gospel together? By loving God in worship, by loving each other in community, by loving uh, Columbia and the world through service and witness. Um, the passage we're going to look at right now in Romans 12 speaks into this real experience of what does it mean for us in fruitful ways to live out the gospel together. Okay, I'm, I'm assuming since grace got handed um, into, you know, such good hands in ransom, I'm, I'm, I'm assume you're accustomed to a sermon that has three points, so I don't want to disappoint you. Um, there, there are three things in Romans 12 I want us to look at this morning. First, that it, uh, it teaches us to want something better, to experience something deeply, and to offer something different. So want something better, experience something deeply, and offer something different. 
first want something better. Okay, so the, the title of this sermon, I'm trying to remember what I gave Phyllis. Um, it, it's something like the community that you want to be a part of. I'd, I'd like to publicly apologize to Kaylee Collins and any other uh, English majors in the room. Like it pained me to write a phrase and end it with a preposition. I, I realized I did that. It hurt. Um, part of the reason I named it that sermon titles are tricky. You don't want to tip your hand too much. You don't want to offend anybody. The, my, my first impulse, what I, what, I, what I really wanted to call this sermon was slap your mama community. But I wasn't, I wasn't sure how that would go over in the bulletin. Um, but that phrase, like something that is so good, you experience it is so good that everything in the past, as good as it might have been, you realize that was only a shadow of what was to come. And I think that that, when we read this passage with those eyes, we see the community that Paul is describing is one of those that is so good and so rich and so deep. Look, look back, we're going to read again a part of it, but look with your eyes back, just put your eyes on the words. Maybe you couldn't even think this when you first heard it because um, it, it sounded, if you thought about it, like something that feels so far beyond or could it ultimately be this good? And I, I know we have had a taste of it at Grace, but the way Paul describes community, doesn't it make you think if you stop and think this is something that I would want to be a part of? That this is the community, this is the kind of people that I would want to be a part of. Doesn't it make you long for it more and more for grace as it continues over the years? When we look at these verses, what if um, for you in your own life, in your own marriage, in your own family, your, your closest relationships look more like this? What if your community group was even more like this? What if as a church body, we were even more like this. I was trying to think of a word to sum up what the verse nine and following, what, what these verses feel like. And, and the best word I could come up with in its best sense is just clean. Like something that has been scrubbed clean and is just uh, good and beautiful. L listen to some of the things that Paul says. He says, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. So uh, last weekend, I, I had the opportunity to help out with a um, church uh, marriage retreat. And um, we, we looked at this passage, and, and that's where Liz had first said, you need to use this for the marriage passage. And so um, this verse in particular, show honor to one another. In that context, when we were talking about it in the context uh, of marriage, it got me thinking, you know, what, what is the opposite of showing honor? There's probably a lot of words that we could come up with. But, but if you think, what's, what's the opposite of honoring someone? One of those words that might eventually come to mind is something like the word contempt. Right, the opposite of showing honor to one another is having and showing contempt towards one another. Well, again, in the context of us talking about marriages last weekend, uh, there's a very famous marriage and relationship uh, psychologist married couple named John and Julie Gottman. And they uh, started back in the 80s what was called the Love Lab. 
Um, it sounds like it should have been started in the 70s with tie-dye, but it was called the Love Lab. And they, what they did is they've spent, over the decades, they've um, spent time with thousands of married couples trying to break down and research and quantify like what goes into relationships that last and what goes into relationships that fall apart. And the number one predictor of divorce that they found through their years of study was when spouses had contempt for each other. That that was guaranteed, almost guaranteed to undermine it. What happens when we have that not only in marriage, but in relationship with others around us, in relationships within the church? It, 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 it pulls things apart. Paul says, outdo one another in showing honor. He goes on and says, be fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony. And this one, don't be haughty. Don't be like, isn't that kind of a, just a disarming word? We don't use that word haughty very often. It sounds like something that, you know, afflicted people in Downton Abbey, right? Um, that uh, we, you know, we feel more comfortable, though we shouldn't, using the word pride, right? But maybe what this does is the word haughty, like it just stops us enough to unveil that we've gotten too comfortable with the word uh, pride. But what, what does it mean for us to come to grips with our own haughtiness, even our haughtiness with each other? Maybe the way that comes out in my words, my actions, certainly in my core disposition, that sense of, I wouldn't say it out loud because we're still in the South, but I believe deep down that I am more significant than you, that my opinion is more on target than yours, that my ideas and my thoughts and my stories are more worth sharing than yours, that my needs outweigh yours. Pride and haughtiness. And Paul says, if you're going to live in community with one another, don't be haughty. Goes on and says, associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Live peaceably with all. Can you just, just feel that for a moment? What would it be like to experience that more and more? Like this is the, that's the community that you want to be a part of. So I mentioned the, the word of just clean. At this marriage retreat last weekend that I went to, um, I was helping out. Liz was not able to come. So I was at the marriage retreat as the single guy. And um, so, you, you know, I'm missing the comfort and friendship of being with Liz. But I do remember that when, so we're in this hotel and getting into bed that night, uh, uh, you know, especially when you come out of, for all of us, the chaos of a week, when you go to a hotel and you're like, there is a bed that is just made and it is pristine and the clean white sheets and you get in, it's just crisp and like that, if you're a tactile metaphor person, like that's what Paul is talking about. Some sense of like the beauty and the cleanness. There's a poem by, written by C.S. Lewis called After Prayers Lie Cold. And it's about him kneeling down next to his bed at night to pray. And here's what it says. Arise my body, my small body, we have striven enough. And he is merciful. We are forgiven. Arise, small body, puppet-like and pale, and go, white as the bedclothes into bed and cold as snow. Undress with small, cold fingers and put out the light and be alone, hushed, mortal in the sacred night. A meadow whipped flat, 
with the rain. A cup emptied and clean, a garment washed and folded up, faded in color, thinned almost to raggedness by dirt and by the washing of that dirtiness. Be not too quickly warm again, lie cold. Consent to wearinesses and pardons watery element. Drink up the bitter water, breathe the chilly death. Soon enough comes the riot of blood and breath. That even that feeling of having prayed and just feeling and knowing that we have been cleansed by our God. Now the thing is, community life like that is, is not that easy. It is never easy. It's not easy in a marriage. It's not easy in a family and it's not easy in a church. What Paul describes here is possible and I'll bet you've tasted it here at Grace. Don't take it for granted. Let yourself long for more and more of that goodness. Um, there's a quote by Antoine de Saint-Exupéry, who was a um, writer. He wrote The Prince and he was a uh, pilot in, the, in World War II. And um, he, here, here's what he said. If you want to build a ship, don't drum up the men to gather wood, to divide the work and give orders. Instead, teach them to yearn for the vast and endless sea. Do you hear what he's saying? If you, if you want to motivate people to something, give them a vision for the beauty and goodness. And that is what Paul gives us here. A renewed vision for the beauty and goodness of God's love working itself out in community with other people. This passage is the vast and endless sea. You see, our passage teaches us to want something better and secondly, to experience something deeply. Not, not only to want it and dream about it, but also to experience it. How do we experience it? How do we become a community more and more like this? Paul has spent 11 chapters in Romans laying out the theology of God's grace and goodness. And in chapter 12, he comes with this staccato pitch of these applications of be like this, but he has already laid the foundation in the letter coming, moving up to this of God's pursuing undying, unchanging love for us. See, how are people like us going to go from selfishness and self-absorption from fear and anxiety and woundedness and shame to this blindingly beautiful life, the one together that Paul holds up to us. How do I go from my often insincere love to love others genuinely, as Paul says? How do I stop craving honor for myself and begin to lavish honor on others? How do I lay down my haughtiness and begin to see eye to eye with the lowly. For me now as a counselor, I, I get to um, wrestle with that question with lots of people as we together talk about what does it mean to actually change? How do we change? How do we get from where we are to where we're supposed to be? And most of the answers that come our way are some version of try harder. Just be nicer. Just stop thinking about yourself and show honor to others. Just make sure you're sweet enough at church. All the things, you, you can change yourself for a day that way, maybe an hour. But it just doesn't 
last. Change doesn't primarily come through trying harder. Real change does take effort on our part. But change comes through experiencing and embracing the goodness and the power of the gospel at work in your life and at work in my life. And that is where Paul roots it in the book of Romans as well. Now, here's where John really stole my thunder. I was going to talk to you about those of you, those of us who remember the glories that is television in the 1980s. And of course, that brings us right back to the A-team. You remember Hannibal and Face and Murdoch and B.A. Baracus, all the goodness of that, you know, the A-team who came in and get gets the job done. And as John said, we talked from the start about the fact that we're not the A-team. We're not special. We can't make this church take off. And whatever success the church has had is not because such awesome people were at work to make it happen. We are and have always been people who um, need Jesus at work in and around us. You see, the gospel heart of this passage, I think we can see it especially in, in one verse. Look at verse 12 with me. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. When he says rejoice in hope, as you know, when Paul or anyone else speaks in the Bible about hope, they're not talking about it the way we often use it. Like, I sure hope it snows again in Colombia, right? I've heard you guys have had two in like the last week, you know, and the moon shall turn to blood and all, you know, it's signs of the apocalypse. You know, I sure hope uh, that we're able to get home in time to eat lunch on time today and the Brandon will wrap this up. Like, I hope, like all that hope for us often means uncertainty. And in the Bible, hope means absolute certainty. Our hope is in not only what Christ has done for us in the past, but that he is coming back for us, that the end of the story is renewed heavens and renewed earth, that in the Bible to have hope means to root yourself in what will happen because God is faithful. And so when he says to this community and to us, to have this community, you need to rejoice in hope. That means you need to hold precious. We need to hold precious what Christ has done for us and that he's with us now and he is coming back. Whatever else gets thrown at us from the world outside, from struggles within, from the myriad struggles that we all walk into this room bearing, he says, rejoice in hope because the gospel is true. That if you know Christ, then he has you in his hands and he will never let go of you. And if he will never let go of you and he loves you like that, then you can let go of your haughtiness. And, and you can let go of your self-interest. And I can do the same. And we can begin to hold each other up and be the community that God calls us to be more and more. He says to rejoice in hope. And it goes on. It says, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation. Paul is not unaware of the struggles that we have. He says to them in the midst of their suffering, be patient, be patient, because you're rejoicing in hope because you know there is a good end. If there is no good end, there is no good reason for you to be patient in your tribulation, to be hopeful in your struggles. But if Christ is real, if he has saved you and is coming back, then you can have hope because your struggle and your suffering is not the end of the story. And he says, be constant in prayer. 
When I came to Grace, uh, I, I came partly as a response uh, to the prayers and the work of our provisional session, who was praying and working for the good end of Grace. When I got here, I found um, not only were they praying, that there were other people in this room praying. I, soon after got, uh, coming here, was invited to join Scott Holstrand and Kelly McCormick for their weekly prayer time for the future church plant that was going to happen. And, and they had been passed, that, that prayer time had been passed on to them from others even before them. The prayers go way back for God's good work. He says, if we're going to have a community like this, if we're going to grow, is that, he says, be constant in prayer. For me, that has been an incredible challenge. Some of you are wonderful prayers. Your first pastor was not. Learning, right? And I'll tell you that even after we got into this building, this is where I would come during the week and walk laps on the inside of this building, um, praying for you and praying for the Lord's work. It happened, but my just one encouragement for you was do what Paul said, which is be constant in prayer. It'd be super easy to be like, hey, we're 10 years in. There are people here. Things are good. We know how to make a Sunday service happen. All those things. And to only give lip service to prayer, but not remember that that is the heartbeat of leaning on Jesus for his work in this community of this church and, and beyond. He says we're called to something um, even better than maybe we've experienced. We're called to want something better. And we're called uh, to grasp and hold on to and experience something deeply. But last thing is, we, because of all of that, we have something different to offer. Because Paul speaks about the flavor and the character of God's community and how it engages the unbelieving community, the unbelieving world around it. Look at what he says, verse 14, bless those who persecute you and do not curse. Verse 18, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Verse 19, never avenge yourself. Verse 20, if your enemy is hungry, Give him, uh, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. When you do that, you are heaping burning coals on his head. That's not a metaphor we use, and it doesn't sound pleasant, but the biblical metaphor is really a picture of doing something that ultimately softens someone and opens the door for repentance and change. To heap burning coals on someone is not to push them away, but to offer them an opportunity of change, a way to repent, to turn around, to experience life instead of death. It says, do not, at the very end, do not be uh, overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Do you hear what he's saying? All the evil he's talking about here, all the oppression, all the persecution, all the you have real enemies who are out to get you. He says at the very end, good is more powerful than evil. And we want to believe that's true. And the movies mostly seem to say that it's true and the stories do. And Paul says it actually is true that ultimately good does win out over evil. And remember how Jesus showed that goodness to us, how Jesus showed us winning over the power of evil by giving himself away, by taking on the scorn and mocking 
and rejection of the cross by taking away the separation from his father, by losing everything, Jesus won our salvation. And his power was made perfect in weakness. And he will do the same with us. You see that the gospel is more powerful than anything that comes against us. Uh, Isaiah in chapter 2 in the Old Testament speaks of swords being beaten into plowshares. And and this this passage, this um, posture of God's people towards even their enemies is an example of that. Jesus leads the way for us. Romans 5.8, earlier in Romans, Paul says that while we were still sinners, that Christ died for us. His weakness coming for us. Now this community that, that lives out the gospel this way and now has this posture towards the world around it, that is always timely, but think about how timely that is right now. Think about what has happened in our world in the past five years. Between politics and COVID, we have seen the world go crazy. Deep division, distrust, anger, suspicion, not uh, every bit of that, not not only around us in the world, but right at the heart of the American church as well. Masks versus no masks, vaccines versus anti-vax, conspiracy theories, all the things. Do you see see what that has represented for us? The very opposite of Romans chapter 12. And our gut response when things get hard and when life seems to be falling apart and things aren't going our way is we, our tendency is to withdraw and shrink our circles. Okay, the way to save community is to make sure that we narrow it down to only the people who think exactly like us. But that wasn't Paul's solution. Paul's solution was don't be haughty and put others before yourself and move out in love towards others See, Paul reminds us that, see, the gospel is more powerful than all of the division, outside and inside. What do you as Grace Prez have to offer Columbia and Northeast Columbia right here? There are no laurels to rest on anymore. There's no way in which you can look at the community around us and say, come trust us, we're an American evangelical church. That brand is finished. Instead, what you can say is, come and meet our Jesus, but see it lived out like this. The gospel that we proclaim really does have the power to soften our hearts. And it really does have the power to bridge divisions and bring healing. How do you know this is the real thing? Because of the way it changes people and their love towards each other in a way that nothing else in our world can. You see, Paul doesn't stop with the community. He says, the way in which you love even those who may be enemies, He says, the gospel will mark you in such a way that you will be a community that actually holds forth the gospel of Christ and its healing power. And that is uncomfortable work. But again, it is the work that we are called to because Jesus is at work. And so if you guys want to lean more into your vision statement, to be a community of God's people who are salt and light, in Colombia, 
this is what we need. I mean, here's, here's my one application suggestion for you, whether that's in community group or for you individually or you as a family, sometime this week, open up and read back through this passage and ask yourself this question. Like, is this what we want to be? Do we see the beauty of it? And what's it going to mean for me, for you personally, to lean towards this? What work does God need to do in you to embrace his picture of what he would do here among you? Let's pray. Lord, you are good and kind, and you never exhort us or call us to action without first speaking to and into us. It is your gospel. It is the goodness of Christ's work for us. It is your love for us in spite of the fact that we are not and never will be the A-team. It is your changing and kind love that is meant to change us that we might reflect your character to the world around us and to each other. To do your good work, make us hungry for it and have hearts that are softened to it. I'm going to pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.